and welcome to the Three Minds Podcast, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Jonathan Wade, a chemistry PhD, James Wade, and a licensed professional counselor, Juliana Wade. We're all siblings, and we're here to, to tackle new topics every single episode that we've each individually looked into and have a very wide-ranging amount of previously established knowledge. Uh, hi, James and Juliana. How are you guys doing? Good. Pretty good. Finally got this set up. <laughs> Uh, since this is our first episode, would you guys like to sort of introduce yourselves? James first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already defined me as a chemistry PhD, which I have done other things. I have a work introduction that I can give, but that's pretty boring. Um, so I, out of the three of us, have lived in the most states, I think by a good bit. Because I was born in Atlanta or outside of Atlanta, and then I lived in Texas and then Georgia and then South Carolina and then Wisconsin and then South Carolina and then Illinois and then Michigan. I don't know how many states that was, but some of that was moving as a kid. Some of that was going to school. And now I live in Midland, Michigan. And yeah, I do chemistry things. I think it's important to know that you're the oldest of the three. Yes. <laughs> I think they'll figure it out. Is that my turn now? Yes. It is your turn. Okay, so I'm the middle child. Um, I'm currently living in South Carolina, but, oh, Jonathan and I now live super close to each other since he started. You can talk about that, but um, I'm living in Greenville, practicing as a therapist here. Um Going to get married, not this year, but now next year, COVID bride, um, obsessed with dogs, um, only girl, which means I usually am the favorite because of that. Rude. <laughs> Very rude. Hi. Um, John Oster. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Jonathan, uh, who decided to take us all on this crazy endeavor of creating content for all of our lovely listeners here. Uh, I'm currently a freshman in college. I just moved in uh, to my dorm in Furman just uh, about five days ago. And it's definitely been a crazy experience. I am the youngest and I am also the most long lasting favorite because uh, our parents are now empty nesters and they've been texting me like every single day, nonstop asking to, I think, make sure that I'm still like eating food and drinking water and cleaning myself. Um, which mom well, are you? Yes, of course I am. Um, I think I've texted you days. that a couple of times asking if you've been eating and I'm, what you've been doing every second I'm, of the day. I'm drinking a lot of coffee. Um, but it's definitely a interesting experience. I have made friends. Uh, finally, it happened. Where do you get coffee? My Keurig. Oh, but they also they guard the coffee here. Well, like, that's gross coffee. Like they, they, I know, but I just wanted a refill and they wouldn't fill up my mug. Hmm. It's very rude. And I'm having to like beg for coffee creamer because somebody has refused to bring me any. I thought I wasn't allowed to see you. And now I found out I was allowed to see you, but we're doing this now. So it's weird living in the same city and you're, you're not allowed bubble. to go to the grocery store. I am, but Juliana promised me coffee creamer and sugar. So I'm going to take her up on that. I need to simulate oh. mooching off other people. I'm a poor college student now. So do you have to take turns going to the bathroom or do they, is it a free for all? It's a free for all. It's, um, 
Uh, every every door has a sign on it that says "Remember to put on your mask." Uh, you can only have two students uh, in a room. So for every person living in your dorm, so I'm I'm in a double, but I only have I don't have a roommate. So technically, there should only be one other person in my dorm, and you have to keep masks on at the, the whole time. Although. I had I had four people in total in my dorm the other night and an RA came by and said I was fine. So I don't know what's happening. Um they we, watched, either. we watched Sinister last night and it was um quite the experience. Uh so do you have to wear masks when you're in the room together? Yes. Mm, hideous. Can you just have like a COVID bubble where you just pick like five people you like that's, and then that's what everyone's doing. That's what wow. that's how, how that's how it goes. So it's and when we get it, we have to report who we've like been around without masks on. So I think it's acknowledged, you know, somewhat in the system that people are going to have like the COVID bubbles. Um, Pro tip, the people you're making friends with now, some may be your full firm and friends, but not all of them. Yeah, we've got we've got a good we've got a good crew. We're almost balanced on genders, um, which is nice. I was told my freshman year by one of like my smartest, oldest professors that it takes six months to form your like friendship circle. But after the six month time period, you're expected to be involved with people enough to where it would be hard to jump and find. I don't I didn't find that to be true. But she said like these next six months, like really search for your friends and establish the group because you'll feel left out if you don't do that. And make yeah. the most of it. I think I think finding a good team of friends is really important to being happy, which is a perfect segue <laughs> to our topic of this week, which is happiness. Um, happiness. So <laughs> I recent happiness uh, for those of you uh, who aren't in our immediate family circle. Uh, our mother has a habit of adding ness uh, at the end of every word. Craziness, happiness, hungriness, which sadness. Then, yes. Which uh, <laughs> always ironically as well. Um, so mm. when James says, surely we will die if we fall off a mountain like he did uh, every single time we were climbing Grandfather Mountain uh, this past summer, it was very appropriate to respond happiness. But uh, the reason we picked happiness for this week was was partly because of just everything going on. Um, I feel like happiness is a thing that a lot of people are trying to find. There's been this sort of introspective wave uh, and like self-care and self-improvement wave that's sort of gone through the whole quarantine thing because you're sort of left to your own self. And I think a lot of people are discovering that you are not very good company. <laughs> um, and in doing that, I discovered a wonderful little thing that I believe Columbia University does, which is the World Happiness Report where they collect a lot of data. It's a lot of it's through TV, uh, uh, not TV. A lot of it's through phone call surveys, um, which are a bit divisive. Um, but the 2020 report came out and uh, they sort of take into account like things like GDP per capita and social support and healthy life expectancy and their your ability to make choices and also how much there's like a dystopia factor, which I think is just like how much your country is just horrible, I guess. <laughs> and uh, also generosity uh, takes into account. And so the first chapter sort of explains everything going on. And the second chapter is the national rankings, which I have here. Would either of y'all like to guess what the happiest countries in the world are? The top three. Mm. The Netherlands. The ones with the best healthcare. 
Um, Switzerland. Switzerland is number three. What about the Netherlands? <laughs> Netherlands is not top three. Mm. Ooh, that's a rare occurrence that just happened. Okay, let's keep guessing. Um, Belgium. No, you're wrong, James. It finally happened. Mm. It is. It is Finland. Hey, at number we're one. We're not done. Yeah. What? I guess Finland. Finland. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, What's I got number impatient. two. So we've got well, number one and number <clears throat> three. This one's like pretty much famous for being happy. America, Canada. Give up, James. I thought it was the Netherlands. It's not the Netherlands. Netherlands is number six. Well, that's what we should name the podcast. Well, <laughs> not Germany. Maybe, maybe they're up there. Five no. seconds on the clock. Four, three. Two. Is one. Bangladesh a country or a city? <laughs> <laughs> it is what? Denmark at number two. Oh, no, same thing. What? I, I hope we have some viewers from ne- the Netherlands. We will eventually have viewers from yeah. listeners, listeners. Europe. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, can you guess where America is ranked on here? 27th. Close. Mm-hmm. Ish. Not 33rd. Really. No. 33rd is Slovenia. My second guess. It Where is, is America? It is number 18, right after Germany. Hmm. Is this oh. the COVID update happiness this index? Because I think is we not, might have gone down. Yeah, this is not the COVID <laughs> update. This is pre-COVID. Um, uh, but a weird like stat is all of these Norwegian countries are... It's basically just all... Uh, sorry, not Norwegian. Scandinavian countries. Uh, that are up at the top. Finland, Norway, Sweden. They're they're really high up there and then in the surrounding areas. Uh, Iceland's also really high as well. Which, I wonder why that is. Does it give some reasons? It, uh, a lot of it is because of... Um, so, there's this sort of chart here. And uh, all of these countries have a considerably high GDP per capita. Um, Luxembourg has an enormously high GDP per capita. Um, For the viewers and listeners that don't know what that means. That means, James, would you like to educate them? (laughs) Sure. GDP per capita is the gross domestic product per capita. So you can think (laughs) of it as the amount. You you can think of it as the amount of productivity per person, which they translate into a dollar value. So. You can look at GDP per capita is probably an underestimate of the average income of a country, but you can look at GDP per household or average income per household. I don't know if they do GDP per household. Anyway, it's an economic metric of how wealthy a nation is. Hmm. Something that's pretty much across the board here is a lot of the the higher up countries have uh, a lot of their GDP per capita is about uh pretty pretty close to one another but the real like difference is uh social support and life expectancy um so good health care take yes. your hand away from your mouth <laughs> um covid um but and after looking into that that was just sort of a nice little tidbit um which I think I think often, uh, you know, sort of the America number one mentality is very much so adopted 
Um, but not not very recently, I don't think. I think people are not very happy with America right now. I think that sort of is getting away. We're sort of getting this sort of uh, this sort of modernist turn away from like nationalism and stuff like that. I think if, if you've been on TikTok at all, political TikTok at all, they seem to not like America at all. <laughs> I don't know how to go on different types of TikTok. You know, it's you just have the for you page and the page you're following. Yeah, but nobody does that. But you you like things, and when you like things, TikTok's grand algorithm says, "Oh, you like Disney World. Welcome to Disney World TikTok." I need to like more things because it's like half people copying each other's videos, and then the other half is just half naked people, or mostly naked people. Yeah, mostly you naked. Have to people. skew it to the things that bring you joy. Juliana and I are both on dog TikTok. I think. Yes, both I on dog, dog TikTok. Videos. I like the videos when the dog is, where the computer is talking for the dog, like when they did something wrong and they're in a lot of trouble and they tell their story what they did bad. Those are great. Um, and also, uh, and I think Juliana may be able to give mm-hmm. insight about this. Uh, maybe I also found a pretty interesting uh, publication called "Is Happiness." relative by i'm gonna pronounce this wrong root vinhoven in which he sort of establishes that the he sort of tries to disprove that happiness is relative um which is a which was a pretty popular theory and i think probably still is where that theory is based off of three postulates uh one happiness results from comparison Two, standards of comparison adjust. And three, standards of comparison are arbitrary constructs. So on that, people sort of take that take away from that and say, happiness doesn't depend on real quality of life. It depends on the quality of life of those in your immediate area that you're able to compare to. Who is this guy? Uh, in the, Root. Uh, Root yeah, Wienhoven. I didn't. His <laughs> na- I need more. What his background is? Um, his background is... I didn't put that in my notes. He's a Dutch sociologist. Mm. Hmm. I can speak a little bit on just my personal insights from my short-lived career. And one thing I've noticed is, and this is just my, I guess I can say this now, my clinical opinion, um, is that there's really no such thing as happy people, in my personal opinion. I think it's based on people can find themselves having happier existences and happier um, stages of life based off of their like hierarchy of needs, like where they are, their support systems, um, their positive mindsets, um, their income, like it's a bunch of different factors that go into it. So I, I think what that guy's probably talking about, yeah, everybody does compare themselves in their local community and people online and and think, oh, I'm not happy because that person looks really, really happy. But I don't think there's such thing as like a happy person. It's just the state of existence you're in that can be happier, luckier, more positive, um, which takes a lot of personal work, personal growth, and um, a bunch of other factors. What's the difference between a happy existence and a happy person? I think like it ebbs and flows. Like I think you can have times of your life that are a lot harder where your needs are not being met. Um, Like, you're thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy of need, like even physiologically your needs might not be met or like 
support system wise, your amount of love you're receiving and seeking and things like that can differ throughout your existence. So like, I guess what I meant is there's times in your life where you're a lot happier and you can be thriving. And then there's times in your life where you can need a lot of help and, um, support. So I don't think there's happy people. I think there's happy moments and we strive to have more and more and more of those, but I don't think like you're born and like, you're going to be a happy person and you're going to be depressed and have a terrible life. Like, I don't think it works like that. So I, that's what but Jonathan's thing made me think of. Do you think that the people are predisposed to be happier than others? I think because of genetics with mental, mental illness. Yes. Unfortunately. Well, aren't there, aren't there also genetic bases for, uh, personality types as well? Mm-hmm. So you're thinking somebody can be a, ha- a happy person. I'm thinking that people could be predisposed to be happier than others, but I think maybe a different way to phrase what you're saying is that there's a combination of environmental and social impacts as to whether or not you're happy. But I still think that there could be people who are more likely to be happier than others based off who they are. Yeah. That that makes me think of like the, the um, story we tell a lot of clients, like the guy who is, um, like his job is like, he just puts up wallpaper and he was like the happiest person on earth. And, um, it's just like a whole thing. I won't get into it, but, um, for example, that guy would be considered, he has a kind of mundane job, works six days a week, just putting up wallpaper in different building. He has an old story. So people don't use wallpaper anymore, but he's like, so, so happy and wrote a book and all these different things. So he's probably, you know, more gifted in the elements of what it takes to be happy and maybe chooses a lot more happiness. Part of the publication uh, that I was reading, he sort of brings up this belief that people say, like, you know, someone who just won the lottery can uh, be as happy as someone who's like, you know, in a third world country who's very poor, struggling to get bought, like get even like eat. Um, And that that relativity of happiness is why. Like that's, that's the main argument for relativity of happiness just out of ignorance and stuff like that. But, um, I think, I think something that's very interesting and that factors into both of the, sort of the happiness report and the publication that I read is how people measure happiness. Um, there's sort of like, there's a, I think there's a big difference between someone's individual happiness and their quality of life. I think oftentimes we link those two together, right? Um, but I think the, I think there's a very much so a um, individualized. There's very individualized sources of joy that um, that bring that level of happiness on for a person, and I'm wondering if maybe there is like you mentioned the hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? If maybe fulfillment of those certain needs provides differing effects, right? Um, well, and, and maybe this guy has a more nuanced opinion than what I'm perceiving, but I would disagree that there's no relativity to it because what he could be describing is that there's a minimum threshold of needs that must that have to be met. And once you meet those needs, then your happiness can be relative to your peers. Well, yeah, no, his his argument is that happiness isn't relative and he sort of comes to the conclusion that people tend to be unhappy. So the, the things, the arguments he's trying to disprove in this paper is that happiness does not depend on real quality of life, that change changes in living conditions 
to good or uh, to the good or the bad have only a short lived effect on someone's overall happiness and that people are happier after hard times uh, and that people are typically neutral about their lives. Um, those are all sort of things he's trying to disprove in the paper. And his his argument is that people act people tend to be unhappy after things like poverty and war and isolation uh, and that the the change in perspective from going from bad to good doesn't actually really improve um, all that off. Often those negative experiences still stay with you and that um, those improvements and deteriorations don't actually affect long-term happiness. Um, and that, uh, and like a big thing he really leans on is that earlier hardship doesn't, uh, does not favor later happiness. Um, but also, uh, he argues that people naturally are a lot more positive about their own lives than neutral, which I think is sort of, that, that must be sort of like a coping mechanism, right? Like the inherent optimism regarding your own life. Like what's the, what's the alternative? If you're like a realist about your experiences, you're just miserable all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, some of the optimism is probably well-founded. I don't know what the global yeah. life expectancy is, but in the U S you're going to most likely you'll live a long time and uh, not starve. So this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, I, that sort of comment on life expectancy. Uh, I recently read uh, Don, Le Don DeLillo's White Noise. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys read it. McCor uh, Mr. McCormick, my, our English teacher. I feel I was assigned uh, to read it. Do I have memories yeah. of reading it? No. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's so it, I decided to re read it again because the f opening scene is a professor watching people move into college. And there was a stark contrast between what he described and what I experienced with COVID, mm -hmm. right? Because he was describing people, you know, like screaming at each other and like fake passing out and hugging each other dramatically and things like that. And the swarm of activity and the dad standing next to each other and all of this. Um, and later in the book, there's this thing called the toxic airborne event or the, the airborne toxic event. One of the, some variation of that, which is also a where the, is it? <laughs> Is it a good band? Mm. It's an okay band. Kayla had it as her, one of their songs as her ringtone for a long time. Huh. So a bad band. Um, <laughs> no, it's her uh, alarm clock. Oh, um, but anyway, back to the, this, there's this like big cloud from a train getting derailed and punk and the car getting punctured and this big cloud of smog. And they're always in denial about how it's going to come to them. And then the guy, but then eventually the cloud hits them and they have to evacuate and the guy gets infected and they say, and they tell him that like, he's going to die and he's freaking out and they say, you're going to die at 85. And there's this sort of like moment where it's where he and the reader is conflicted because it's, that's a pretty long time to live. Right. But it like absolutely wrecks him because he knows he will die at that age. There's like, you know, there's his mortality has been forced upon him. And I wonder if one's ability to accept their own mortality is like very impactful on how much you can enjoy your life. Right. Well, if we remember from science class, got the chemistry people here, the top of Maslow's hierarchy of need is self-actualization. And I feel like that goes in a lot with like 
unconditional self-acceptance. Like if you have gone through trauma and stuff, rather than like carry that with you, maybe acceptance or making at least like positive meaning out of it. That's a lot of stuff that I work on with clients to feel like I know when they're ready for a discharge to like go back out into the world without the need of any type of therapeutic intervention. They can handle it on themselves because they get to this self-actualization, which probably isn't the top point of their life when they finish with me, but at least to a point where they're not um, dwelling on a lot of the bad and can change their mindset and have all their other needs met. Do you guys feel like that you, do you guys ever have that sort of like existential or mortal dread surrounding your own mortality? Like, do you ever get like waves of anxiety over it or something like that? I have more inferiority complex being like a young professional, not so much dread of like my ultimate doom, but that what I'm doing right now isn't correct or good enough or that I know what's going on or all that kind of stuff. So I don't have that. I don't know. James is old now. He's James doesn't have feelings. He's 30, so. So. Well. He may have more of those existential crisis crises. Is that how you say it? Plurally? Yeah. How was, how was, yeah. How was being old, James? Was that a, I am younger than <laughs> Kayla. So <laughs> I will have, you know, I am not the oldest in the household. No, I think the so, ex- ex- existential dread is real and that people that's why a lot of philosophy focuses on it. But I mean, I think I've when I was younger, I would get stressed out by the existential dread, but not as much anymore, because what are you going to do? <laughs> Literally, you can't change it. And I think in the middle part of your life, I mean, if you are lucky enough to have a job and be in that grind on a weekly basis, it, it makes sense why people who are like more geriatric get these existential and deep layers of depression at the end of their life, because then they have time to slow down and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And what did I do? What did I do with it? But now we're in the hustle and bustle and not really, I mean, it's good to check in with yourself and be like, how much am I enjoying my day to day? How much is a random work? Like random Tuesday is what I say to my clients. Like how much are you enjoying that day? And if it's like, it's, terrible. I wouldn't want to redo it for the rest of my life. And we need to check on changing some things to find more happiness on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, something that's always sort of stuck with me is especially going to college now, uh, which I've brought up like a million times. It's relevant. Uh, yeah. Wait, are you in college? Uh, <laughs> dad told me, I think like a year ago, maybe even longer that college will be the best years of my life. Um, <laughs> like so matter of fact, he said, you will never have more fun in your life than you did in college. Uh, and that's sort of like always sort of added this pressure to like, am I wasting my time some, da- some days here? Like, should I be having more fun than I am? I feel like I'm having fun, but is that the right kind of fun? Do I need to do something like stupid and outlandish to feel empowered enough to be like, yeah. I didn't waste time. I didn't, you know, authority didn't keep me down. Um, well, uh, I loved college. I don't think Juliana liked college as, as much. You know, why don't you like college? I loved college. I just, I've enjoyed a lot of different phases in my life as well. And I wouldn't say, you know, being in the classroom and I mean, I don't know. It. I've made a lot of really good memories in my life rather than just being a college student was the best like, I don't know. I mean, it was awesome. And I definitely miss being younger and having more free time. But um, I don't know. I think when people say is that 
best years of your life. Um, it kind of makes you feel like you're going to peak in some ways. And if it wasn't good, what people don't tell you is being in your twenties can be also some of the loneliest times because especially based on your attachment style. So like y'all know I'm very close with mom. So at the same time, that was hard to adjust to freshman year being away from her. Um, and then I was in a different state. So it, it, when people put that pressure, like, yes, this is going to be the best, like go enjoy it and enjoy every minute of it. That's, I, I find that a little difficult because it does make you feel like if you're struggling, you're alone and everyone else is happy. So it is fun. Like I would definitely go back to it, but you're, I could send articles to John, John, if you need me to. Um, but yeah, your twenties can be some of the loneliest years of your life and mental health is a big issue in that because you're away from who kept you safe your whole life. And then you're out and you're, I'm sounding depressing, but it was really fun. It just, there's more to it because you're now an individual thinking all for yourself and making the types of friends. And sometimes it can feel lonely making these big decisions, especially with majors. If people don't know what they want to do, it can be a little bit um, dizzy at times. So I, I, I work with some of that population and I have to help them realize, you know, it doesn't have to be the only fun part of your life. You, like marriage could come later or your dream job could come later. Traveling, all those things could be established as well. Haven't mom and dad entered like the best part of like the best stage of their marriage, right? Where they're like the happiest they'll ever be or something like that. Now that there's no they kids have. It's the bell curve. I'm not necessarily. It's the bell curve of um, marriage. Like you are happy. It's also a- get married and then kids and then now isn't it also a time of a very common time for divorce yes so they have to, i told dad to ask mom so, on a date so and they have to get to know each other again well <laughs> sounds um, stressful dating d- <laughs> they gonna get tender <laughs> hmm. what what have y'all been doing with your significant others during covid for well kale's still going to work so it's thing. not very different for her yeah i still go to work and yeah, but do y'all like do anything or is, are you just in like the, the routine of, of work I'm not wait, in the general vicinity? Well, I'm not done repeat. with the other thing about having fun in college. So I want to go back to that before we talk. <laughs> okay, that we'll, go back. we'll go back. Um, if you try to have fun, I think that's a very great way to not have any fun. If you're trying to force memories. Yeah. Because no one, I think a, a lesson to learn early, not just in college, but in life is that while you have people that love you, fundamentally, nobody cares what you're doing. <laughs> people do not think about you anywhere near as much as you think they think about you and do things that genuinely make you happy because it doesn't really matter. Like if you don't want to go to med school, don't go to med school. If you don't want to do these things, I mean, you want to be able to provide for yourself in some way. But defining your happiness based off of the perceptions of others is not a great thing, which is a bit trite, but it's, I think it's true. I would agree with that. Cause like I was very flattered to get into the sorority I got into in college, but only because of their reputation. And it was maybe something I thought would in like a high school age, like I'd want to be like those girls. And then when I was in those meetings and I mean, nothing against like that sorority or Greek life or anything like that, but they weren't um, like it, it really wasn't a good match. Um, and I had the most fun in the times when I would like not show up to chapter meetings and go to the like Greek free intramural soccer. And those are the friends I've kept. And, um, I I mean, definitely try things out, but I 
wrongfully stayed in it all four years. And I wonder, you know, like if the nonprofit could have like kicked off more and like, I think because of image at my school, like you really need to be Greek life for people to know who you were. Why does that matter? Like enjoy the good friends you meet and the people that will stick around more than a giant group of popular people. Like it seems kind of like a high school thing when I talk about it now, but just like that mentality. But I definitely learned the hard way that, um, you, why do you care what people think? Like just do exactly, if you're not hurting anyone, you're not treating anyone badly and you're just having fun then go for that way more than anything else. I think I had a much different Greek life experience. Yeah. <laughs> you also had frat houses though and stuff like that. Um, now Greek housing is like all consolidated into one hall and not like even really that much of a thing because of COVID. Yeah. But for our, I mean, the, what I liked most about the being in a fraternity was you had continuous, like you, you were always hanging around people that had a similar overall sort of direction in life that they were heading towards. They wanted, everybody wanted to go, go study hard, get good jobs, that sort of thing. But you were coming from a very different background. So I wasn't talking to chemistry majors all day. Um, so you, you, we got to connect at a different level with a lot of those people. But I will say that my fraternity was very, very different than what the conventional f fraternity, as most people think about it. As a very practical example, we had people who were openly gay in our fraternity, which might not be as big of a deal today, <laughs> but when you think about uh, 2008 yeah. to 2012, when I was at Furman, that was yeah. not the norm. That was that was prime. Uh, I'll t I'm fine with talking bad about Hammond. <laughs> um, uh, that was like definitely during the era when I was in. Uh, I wasn't even in high school middle then. School. Uh, I was in like middle school uh, where maybe younger. Ev ev everything people didn't like. Everything was just gay. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was the yeah. default. I mean, that's what I yeah. grew up with as well. But it it's not I don't think people that that the femininity associated with being gay was what you were really talking about then. Mm -hmm. And so it's not I mean, sure, it absolutely was anti-gay and you shouldn't we shouldn't use those languages, use use that language in a derogatory way. But it was not. It wasn't something unique to Hammond or unique to South Carolina um, that was pretty nationwide. And, and you still hear it. I mean, occasionally today, I don't hear it because I work with a bunch of nerds all day and talking about sexuality be terrifying for them. So <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely still a thing uh, at Hammond. Uh, at least, you know, in the, in the first semester of senior year, I would hear it regularly every day. Um, oh, it took me a second to be like, why only the first semester? Oh, <laughs> I didn't get that either. Well, it sounds like even though you're saying Greek life is kind of on a pause, There's, there is hope, hope for COVID to there's not hope. be around in the future. So if it if it was such a rewarding thing, I wouldn't discount it because of this. I wouldn't discount anything you're wanting to try because of COVID this year, because COVID will go away and those groups and people you meet aren't going to go away. So just explore what you so, want to do. Something that... Just to change gears a little bit, because uh, I'm God, I'm tired of talking about COVID. Um, what do you think is the difference between us and the 
fam like our family and the family at Disney World that is screaming at each other and you know having like the worst time ever at the happiest place on earth when it's like our number one vacation spot. Oh, I thought you were saying us right now and then us when we're at Disney screaming at each other. And it's like, I no. don't know what you're talking no. about. Oh, okay. We do scream at each other at Disney, but just on roller Well, coaster. I think you need uh, context for our pretend listeners because mm-hmm. that's true. We have been to Disney World more than I, I don't even know how to estimate the number. I'm, I think I've been more than 25 times now. Each of us has some kind of decorative Disney thing in their room right now. <laughs> I have my I keep my annual pass on me at all times in case of emergency Disney kidnappings. <laughs> I guess I do have Disney in the background. Mm-hmm. And then I've got I, my Disney I've bags got Disney right there in the corner that I it, never unpack. Sc- moving. I, I have Scar in my room and I also have Mickey mm-hmm. and friends over my bed. Um, we are the annoyingest so TikTok I, would call were Disney adults. When I was probably, I don't know, 10 through 15 and we would go to Disney World. Disney was way less cool for adults to or whatever teenagers to get excited about back then. And I remember when I would go and look at stuff to buy, if it had obvious Disney logos on it, I would not want to buy it. So if it had a Mickey on it or anything like that. So I didn't I don't think I bought very much when we used to go. And now Kayla has an embarrassingly large mini ear collection. Are we going to have show notes? Because yeah. I should put an embarrassing picture of that in the show notes. We will we will do show notes. <laughs> I will find a way to do show notes. Juliana, how many Disney ears do you have? I stopped counting. Um, I think I stopped counting when I hit the 20s. Um, like not 20 years old, like 20 times. But I will say like some of the reasons I've gone that weren't like the Wade family trip would, would be like James's um, uh, baseball tournaments. And then I went to convention thing not convention like a training thing for what i wanted to do when i grew up and then i don't think i had a baseball tournament in disney baseball you had like two yes you did i i hear i i kept hearing stories from dad about how you those were the only times we went in the the summer months for the most part um and then we had like thanksgiving ish tradition traditions or christmas traditions where we go around those times and that just added i have no recollection of disney maybe maybe we had one you definitely went down there. Well, we went there for spring training for my 10th birthday to watch the Braves. There's more than that. I don't even remember that. I guess I did play a tournament there. I can't remember. And then I think I don't maybe... Know. I played too many tournaments. Have we ever gone for church reasons? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, no. I did once. Okay. What? Church? What? You were going to, like, save save people? No, just and like... That was the Presbyterian Church. They don't do that. That's true. <laughs> Kayla's grand grandfather started handing out literature. You, well, I, you remember what he said about it's a small world. He cried. Oh yeah, he cried, <laughs> and he no, said, "I me. hope that this is exactly what heaven is like." <laughs> He's probably the only one that would feel that way. Probably. I don't know. I mean, I see where no, he's coming yeah. from. There are all these like different all nations getting along. Together. And- Hopefully not that slow pace uh, with the song. Or creepy dolls. Yeah, yeah creepy dolls. Mm. It's true. But yeah. So what do you what do you think we do differently that most people don't do? Well, one, we're us... grown-ish. Mm-hmm. That's true. But is Disney is Disney for kids anymore? Yes, it's for kids. But I think <laughs> part of part of it is we don't, it's not, it doesn't represent a big portion of our income 
for the year in order for us to go where a lot of mm-hmm. families will have to save for months or even years uh, to be able to take their kids and they're trying to do it on the cheap. So they'll pack food and, and try mm-hmm. to get every hour that they can in the park. Whereas for us, because we know that we're going back so frequently and because at least in our case, the three of us, we don't pay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're, we don't have a huge exactly. pressure for us to go get every second out of every day. It's kind of like the so, college. These are the happiest years of your life. Like go be happy, smile, like that's, same that's concept true. in Disney. Like, Hey, this is gonna be the best trip ever. Like, can't what, do you, what do you think makes Disney so like, you know, so magical and happy and everything? Is it the cast members? Is it just the fact that they build rides? Is it the ambiance? I think it's different for every person. Like, like I think we would each three give different reasons. It appeals to so many things that everyone loves. Like for me, like I'm a girl that grew up, grew up in the 90s. It's like the nostalgia of the princesses that I've always loved growing up. And then Minnie is such a iconic character and that was really the basis of me falling in love with it and then as we've gotten older there's so many more things to enjoy i mean epcot lets you like drink margaritas in it now and it's and i think we can go in a way that you can um not feel exhausted the whole time we can kind of do it in a relaxed fashion which i like that now for the people who james likes to call our imaginary viewers (laughs) uh just so y'all know Disney World is extra magical for Juliana <laughs> because she got proposed in Disney World to in Disney World yeah, by her fiance on the bridge by Belle's Castle, which is her favorite princess. That was very magical. I need to go back now. I was not invited. I, thought, it wasn't I don't know if I ever said this to James. I said it to Jonathan and mom and dad, I think, but I thought you were going to, so I didn't know if I was for sure getting proposed to, but if I was getting proposed to, I figured it would be that night. And cause I looked at the schedule and I was like happily ever after um, fireworks. And then the next day there was a typo on all of our reservations for dinner. There was like one extra person. And I was like, Oh, I'm getting engaged. James is going to pop out. It's going to be so great. It was so great, but that was the only thing that didn't happen that I was thinking. Not that like, And speaking of happiness, this would be an example of Juliana's unrealistic expectations. (laughs) Well, I was just trying to figure out what what to expect. But also speaking of relative happiness, Juliana was miserable before she got proposed to. I was tricked because I was disappointed. uh, Our mom pretended like she was going to go back to the hotel room and. So Juliana was convinced that it wasn't happening. And she thought, if this isn't going to, if this isn't going to happen this night, it's probably not going to happen the entire trip. Just leave it. And I couldn't find Jesse. My mom's stomach didn't feel good. And I was just like, everyone's pooping. I'm going to have to, I and actually I, remember thinking, I'm about to watch this happily ever after fireworks show with my brother. Like how romantic. I was just, I was going to sit on the floor the whole time. <laughs> cause I couldn't find Jesse cause he was going to get the photographers. So I was just like, this would be, the time of my life, the dream trip, the dream night, and mom's sick. And if she I knew, also she wouldn't leave. Most of this. You what? I I also instigated most of that because uh, I I was the one that told you mom was thinking about heading back after dad told me not to tell you that. Um, was she so actually thinking about heading back? No, no she, she was, was lying the entire time. Well, it's pretty realistic. Um, I know it is. She's it always. Is. Not feeling good. <laughs> um, but 
uh, to go back to that study, did you being miserable right before improve the happiness experience? Possibly, yes, because it wasn't on my radar anymore. And I think, well, people liked it. Like I was looking at the schedule. I was trying to like control the outcome. Hopefully it would really happen. I was trying to gather evidence, but feeling like it really wasn't happening and feeling slightly depressed because it was slightly really down. You hated everyone. Over it. Um, it did make it really a surprise. And then the fact that Jesse really did go through all of that, it made me felt loved and it made me felt like he really knew who I was, which is, that's a big thing in my life for somebody to know you and get you and care for you because they know the things you like. So, I mean, he's like not a Disney, he's turning into a Disney guy, but he wasn't a Disney person before I met him. So that made that really special. So yeah, I guess it all worked out as it should. And that is the case with lots of things when they go bad if you have that perspective that's not a bad one oh we've talked at great length and so i think we're going to turn it over to our next section uh segment which is a portion of the podcast where we each go around uh to ask one other we all can ask one question of whatever sibling we want uh and that sibling has to answer in about five minutes or less truthfully um you forgot to say the name. Oh, it's very horribly named Sibling Smack Talk or something like that, right? <laughs> it is. I'll have you know, by the way, for the happiness, I did have something prepared to talk about. But no, no, it's okay. Talk no, about it. Talk, no, go, no, I'm just I just want to say that it. I had mild preparation. I had mild preparation as well. God, you said you had notes. Uh, yeah, I just had absolute yeah. hierarchy of need written down oh and that there's no such thing as happy no. people <laughs> give, give it three minutes oh, no, i just Go, I, all i was going to talk about was the course gazette uh yeah where is it gratitude do you have a gratitude journal no. i have a gratitude well, journal I fell off. we can do Bragging a whole segment on self-care and gratitude yeah and and john green also has a gratitude journal so do you still do your gratitude journal, Jonathan? I do. I, uh, I oh, no, did it wrong. the other night. Uh, and I, I need to do it for today because I met a really cool group of people and I want to put them in there. Is that your gratitude journal? For, for, our, for our listeners who cannot see, James is currently holding up his gratitude journal, which lost the cover. He does not have the Kurtz Kazart cover anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I took it off on purpose. I don't know where I put it. Um, but yeah, Kurtz Kazart, really good video on gratitude um but anyway on to our next segment sibling smack talk where we each can ask each other one single question uh only applicable to one other sibling so some night some days you may luck out and not get asked any awkward questions but no matter how awkward or weird uh we have to answer truthfully and around five minutes is where we're shooting for in our response i didn't know we were aiming for awkward questions it's just whatever question so um, sh- shall I go first? I guess. Okay. I'm feared. Me too. Um, um, I'm not going to ask Juliana because I feel like she'll break HIPAA unintentionally. <sighs> um, no, I'm getting better. So I was, I was in Green- <clears throat> Greenville the other night, uh, downtown Greenville, and there I was by the one and only spilled the beans. I did not go in. Um, it's far too crowded, and COVID was a feared. Mm-hmm. Um, but. 
this old group of men, there's three old men, at least in their like sixties, all white hair and stuff. And there's this group of like Amish women or something. I don't know. They, they looked Amish and we were stuck in between them. And, and one of the men, the men are in front of us and the Amish women are behind us. And one of them turns around looks, I was thinking, I don't know about Maybe. Amish, but some Maybe other. Not. I don't know. They were. Okay. These Mennonite women uh, were. In between us, and one of the old guys in front of us turns around and looks around and says, surely someone must have cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this like staring match between the two. And I was caught in the middle. And so my question it, uh, to you, James, is have you ever been surrounded by either have you ever come in contact with or known anyone to co come in contact with either uh, cocaine or old people who are <laughs> insistent that people have drugs? Mm, not really. There were well. I'm trying to think of how much I should disclose about Furman. Um, there were rumors that certain fraternities, um, not the one that I was in, would have cocaine on occasion. Yeah, pretty. I mean, you're probably going to be disappointed with my lame answer, but not really. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. No, no old man's ever asked you for a quick bump, James. I'm trying to think we were somewhere. Maybe New Orleans. My cooking yeah. story is in New Orleans, too. Well, I, we, we went to go to the bathroom and you have to, I don't know if you have to buy a drink, but they were, I don't know. If you're on Bourbon Street and you go into a bar and you want to use the bathroom, I guess it's the polite thing to do to give the money for a drink. And I don't, this was, I think, uh, might have been the when I went for college. Um, I'm thinking. Yeah, this was they had the uh, local ACS section was in New Orleans. I actually gave my one of my first talks at that one. Um, and we went that back to the bathroom and some guy came out there and was like, don't go in there. There's a drug deal going on in there. And so we left. Yeah. Juliana, you, I, it's a, it's breaking the rules, but you said you have a cocaine story. Yeah, um, well, I don't know. So I went to New <laughs> Orleans one time and. I was like the only person in the group that, um, hold on. There's a chance I have to grab a squeaky toy away. She might not do it. Okay. Um, so I went to new Orleans, like I think the first year I was dating Jesse. Yeah. Um, with all of his friends from his like high school group, all really, like, really, really good people. You'll meet like all of them at the wedding. Um, and, um, we had a really good time, but people were like out of college. So everyone got hung over and didn't feel good. And I was the only one that was like super energetic and happy the whole trip and like didn't get sick or anything at all. And I was telling my like awesome, fun experience. And we didn't go down Bourbon Street the whole time. It was just like one night. And then um, the rest was like more historical walking tours and stuff. But I was telling the bartender at like the pub that we go to in Greenville a lot all about it. And he's like, describe how you felt again. And I was just like. Well, everyone was tired and I was just excited and was running all around. And he was like, there is like 60% chance that somebody drugged you with cocaine based off of every symptom you're talking about. That's a little scary, but I felt like I hadn't been drinking and I just wanted to 
run around and have fun. So that's a weird thing that could have happened that is a good caution. I don't know. I I was also one of the youngest, so maybe I just had more energy than our old fashioned group. I would bet that because you can't you can't just drop it into somebody's drink. Let's hope not. Also, I mean, that's an expensive drug. I don't think people are just going to be like, yeah. here, go yeah, have, have some cocaine. Oh, yeah, of all the things to spike your drink with, I don't me, think cocaine would be one. Someone more of a chemistry level. Of, it's not easy to drug yes. someone with it. James has watched every season of Breaking Bad and now knows all about the drug manufacturing industry. Well, that's good. That was so not cocaine. Then my, my story is that it I did not get drugged and just did not get hung over or feel sick at all. So what are your cocaine stories, Jonathan? Um, I take Adderall. Well, <laughs> oh, the meth story. Then. Well, Adderall is speed, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So isn't it literally know. the same? I don't know. I actually don't know. Y'all, y'all should it, know more. People snort it. <laughs> but why? Why should we know more? You're you also t- took it a while. I still back. take Adderall. I thought you were on. I'm tapering. No, it's aren't. hard. Yeah. Whatever. It is hard. Um, it's going to get me through college. Uh, anyway, y'all's turn for questions. Hmm. Well, I have one. If Juliana still needs to think of hers. Okay. Um, except mine was keeping in theme with happiness. Yes. Which happiness is less awkward okay. for Jonathan, but it is for Jonathan, which would be what are, I guess, how would you define a successful four years in college? Oh gosh. Um, this, this is like straight out of the Furman survey questions that they asked us before we came here. Um, obviously getting your degree is probably up there, but I'd say, I'd say, Form it like one of the most principal parts. One of the things that I'm trying to accomplish more than anything is connecting with people without having naturally forming connections with people and having experiences and memories that are giving more than you're having to put in a lot of the time, I think is sort of just having long, long having long-term relationships in which you are naturally able to enter into. Cause I think all especially going to a smaller uh, high school, right? The, there was sort of a natural cultural adoption. I think one of like the big parts of college for me is going to be sort of establishing not, not quite as like falling into the cliche of finding myself, whatever that means, but very much so just, um, f- finding joy way more naturally, right? And figuring out what things that I do and the things that I enjoy that make me me, but also make me a better me and sort of pursuing those to a further extent. I think probably the best word that comes to mind that I want to do in college is like experiment, right? And And figure out what works for me, what things I love and um, stuff like that. I feel like that was a very generalized and very LA answer. Well, it's it's sometimes cliche or 
whatever wrote answers are actually have some truth in them. That's why people end up repeating them. How are, was, is that true to y'all? Do y'all, y'all think that's a good take? Definitely. I think I get in my head. Um, so I used to a lot more, but I get in my head socially sometimes too. And maybe it's a thing from Hammond. Maybe it's just part of us having some similarities in our personality, but um, yeah, I, I think working on um, the ways to like better yourself might not be like making better grades or like working out more, but maybe working on like self-esteem and like just feeling good about yourself and um, maybe going to a place that wasn't as enjoyable like Hammond for you, like could have created some habits of um, overthinking social situations where this is a new opportunity to really accept yourself. So, you know, if you're feeling confident about who you are, most likely you'll attract people that are pretty accepting. You don't have to waste your time with jerks or anyone who's going to be, I don't know, taking away that joy that you're looking for. So kind of like the, when you're cleaning out your closet, does this bring me joy? You can do that with friends now. So that's good. I don't have to see people as much. But I think the, some, some aspect of what you're talking about is the spontaneity. I mean, I, I agree with what Juliana said, certainly mm -hmm. uh, about the joy aspect of getting rid of people friends who don't bring you joy, mm -hmm. but you don't want to constantly be evaluating on a moment by moment basis of does this specific moment bring me joy? Because a lot of, and when you look back at your experiences through college, you're not going to realize maybe it's just the fondness of, of me reconstructing memories, but oftentimes you won't realize how enjoyable something was in the moment because it's not like you're being overwhelmed with euphoria or something <laughs> like that, but it is, yeah. you are actually having a good time and growing because it, some, some aspect of growth, because I think you do want to grow a lot in college. Some aspect of that growth is going to be painful. Learning new things can be painful. Learning both socially and within your education. And if you only want to have the bias towards positive experiences, then I don't think you're going to get the full, not just college experience, but just as you continue to mature. From the academic side, really, your goal, especially if you have ambitions for higher education, um, the goal is not to master any individual topic. It's very rare, I'll say, in my experience for somebody to come out of college mastering anything. Um, you're, you're really learning how to learn new things or learn new skills, and you're not expected to be an expert on anything when you leave. Chemistry is a particularly strong example of that, where you go when you go into grad school, nobody Sure, you have some base level knowledge, but nothing that's particular. You're not a, an expert in any subset of chemistry by any means, and certainly not a master of the whole subject. And I think that kind of can apply to your even to your social aspects as well. I think if you're not looking back at yourself every few years with at least a little bit of embarrassment, it probably is a sign that you haven't grown very much. Think about on, well, I guess Jonathan doesn't really get this, but for people close to my age or a little older, we're getting these 10 years ago things on Facebook and they show you your statuses that you wrote 10 years ago out into the world. They are the most oh, cringy things ever. And I, I, I have edgy? a client similar to my age and we were talking about it and um, could really validate her cringy feelings on it. And we said exactly what James was talking about, where if... 
we looked back and we were cooler back then, or if we were, um, you know, just the same, I mean, that doesn't really give you much to feel about yourself today. Um, but if you look back and you were yeah. like, I can't even think of a cringy thing I've said, I'll have to look them up. But, oh, I said the weirdest things like, oh, I can't, can't believe I have to go to school today. Like weird stuff just all the time. Yeah. Um, and it does show you how much you've grown if you're, you know, if you've made mistakes in the past and not, you'd never do those today. Um, definitely a good, a good thing to look back on. Well, and bringing this back to the happiness discussion, I can see how there's a whole podcast on this. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's, there's certainly a lot to talk about, but any individual achievement, uh, for college, it'll be things like getting good grades, maybe getting on the, I forget. It's not called the Dean's list presidents. I forget what it's called at Furman, but getting on those sorts of achievements or getting into graduate school or getting into a fraternity, any of those individual achievements are going to feel not hollow, but they're, they're not long lasting. So you're going to achieve a certain status and then you get accustomed to that status. And so you have to constantly be achieving for growth and um, expanding. Well, just, I think growth, I mean, it's, I don't want to keep saying, describing it in the same words, but bettering yourself is what you always want to strive for. And, when you stop doing that, that's like for, for my job, if I only focus on the baseline expectations that I had last year, it, you get bored pretty quick. And you as if you're not aiming to be greater than you were before, then I think that's a bit unfulfilling. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, all right. Juliana, do you have a question? Um. I can ask you something kind of interesting. I ask, um, like my teenagers and, um, I always ask them cause I have to talk about how like the purpose of being a therapist, like I, I don't write you a prescription to make you happier, but I can, like, I can write you, we can come up together, like what our mental health prescription would be for happiness. So like, for example, mine would be like, um, I need to stay active to a certain level. I need to, um, like, like I need to go on walks for my mental health when I have anxiety. I need to talk to my mom like once a week, if not like three times a week, um, different things like bring me joy and make me happy. Like twinkle lights, little things like that. I know what brings me joy and what makes me happy. So what are the things in your life during this transition? If you could list like four things that you, you basically need to maintain to make sure that you don't, you know, feel anxious or feel depressed or feel down? What would be your Um, mental health prescription you'd give yourself? Definitely like pretty regularly, like especially like at night times, I feel like a very, I have been way happier when I've been like hanging with like a crew of people and stuff like that. So just like maintaining a good connection with friends whilst also sort of go like, and being dynamic enough to interact with new ones. Um, something that has made me very happy lately is I've sort of rediscovered reading for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the books never went away, but um, I was listening to the Anthropocene reviewed, which is a great podcast by John green. Um, and he brought up a, um, he brought up the great Gatsby and the way he talked about it was just, 
had a lot of reverence behind it and admiration for it and sort of told the story of struggle. And when I, and it was also the only book that I wrote an essay for in 10th grade and got an A on from Dr. Reagan besides my, as I lay dying essay at the very end. And I didn't read the book to its entirety. And I felt like I, I just had this like experience of where I was losing something. So I, I went back and I read that and now I'm reading uh, why fish don't exist, which is another book recommended by John green. And I'm also, uh, I was rereading white noise by Don DeLillo and I've been uh, going back and looking at some of my favorite chapters in infinite jest. And I've been ordering more and more books and going through them. And so I think just, Find, find, I need to find like those sort of creative outlets that really speak to me. And I think books have suddenly become that for me again. Um, I also, uh, and doing creative things like this is definitely something that's, I've really enjoyed channeling my energy into, um, and doing things like the video essay that I mentioned before the podcast, that's going to be coming out in like probably a month by the time I've collected all the footage and written everything and recorded everything and maybe done some research and also updates and stuff like that. Um, so finding creative outlets like that. And then also coffee. I enjoy coffee. It's just a nice little bit of my day when I have a cup of coffee and I can like nurse it for over half the day because of my coffee mug being nice. Um, and also just being able to walk around on a campus, walking around on campus is very fun. I get to people watch a lot, even though there's not that many people out and about to watch because of everything going on. Uh, but it's a pretty campus, so walking. That's can you awesome. go to the DH? I can go to the DH, but I have to um, have to wear a mask at all times. And um, it's weird. You can take your mask off so you can talk to people uh, while you're eating, right? So you can talk to people at your table uh, while while you eat. But the moment you finish eating, they walk by you and like put your mask back on if you're going to talk. Um, so it's... Uh, definitely still like like we talked before we yeah you have like your covid bubble where you sort of let down this like constant guard when do classes start the 18th so tuesday oh what's your first class um computer science i think are you still gonna i have all i have i have all online classes except for um chemistry did uh so you're not going to try to switch to a math? It's not looking very promising and I can't do it until tomorrow anyway. Oh. If uh, I can. Well, nice. Did you wish that we had asked you more embarrassing questions? <laughs> Maybe. Just ones that weren't like so deep, I guess, that I have to elaborate yeah. on. Um, it's fine. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes the... I don't know. I think that some of the embarrassing questions can be sort of trivial and not also sure. not necessarily interesting. Cause if it's just embarrassing for us, but it's not like an embarrassing thing <laughs> in the world, nobody cares. That's true. Um, my, my backup was asking if you recalled getting your head stuck in the railings of the stairs all those years ago. Me? No, I do not. Yes. You do not. <laughs> 
I remember Juliana's leg getting stuck in a crib. I remember being told that. I don't know if it's a real memory or not, but trauma. I remember mom putting Juliana. I don't remember. I remember hearing about mom putting Juliana on a hot stove and traumatizing her. I remember that. (laughs) Sadness. Um, I remember Jonathan falling off the kitchen counter at the Oak Brook house right on his head. I I've I've fallen multiple times. I remember him like falling playing a game at or the something. orthodontist off yeah, the couch uh, yeah. onto the air grate <laughs> face first. True. Yeah, and I also fell off the back of bleachers and stuff like that. You guys third. did not take very good care of You fell off bleachers multiple times. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um but that's that's great. From happiness to sadness. Well <laughs> as as things welcome. usually go. Um uh, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off here. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is a very new thing for all of us going into podcasting. And I hope you guys will, that are our imaginary listeners, will come on this journey with us and watch us grow. Tune in next week for Serial Killers. Yeah, tune in next week for Serial Killers. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into our favorite serial killers and just go into the logistics of what makes serial killers. So thank you all for listening. And uh, have a great night. Bye. Bye. See ya.